Hi, I'm Carmen LaBurge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge. Your daily encouragement that God has the world in the hollow of his hand. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBurge on Faith Radio. If we're going to fly, we fly like eagles, arms now wide. If we're going to fear, we fear no evil. We will rise by your power, we will go. By your spirit, we are bold. If we're going to stand, we stand as giants. If we're going to walk, we walk as lions. Good morning, good morning. I'm Carmen LaBurge. This is Faith Radio, and you're listening to Mornings with Carmen on this July the 11th. Where in the word are you today? Today's the first time that you're joining us. That is a reference to where you are in the word of God. I am in Psalm 143 this morning. Hear my prayer, O Lord. Give ear to my pleas for mercy. In your faithfulness, answer me. In your righteousness, Enter not into judgment with your servant, for no one living is righteous before you. Lord, the enemy has pursued my soul. He has crushed my life to the ground. He has made me sit in darkness. Therefore, my spirit faints within me. My heart within me is appalled. I remember the days of old. I meditate on all that you have done. I ponder the work of your hands. I stretch out my hands to you. My soul thirsts for you like a parched land. Answer me quickly, O Lord, for my spirit fails. Hide not your face from me, lest I be like those who go down to the pit. Instead, let me hear in the morning of your steadfast love, for in you I trust. Make me know the way I should go, for to you I lift up my soul. Deliver me from my enemies, O Lord. I have fled to you for refuge. Teach me to do your will, for you are my God. Let your spirit lead me on level ground. For your name's sake, O Lord, preserve my life. In your righteousness, bring my soul out of trouble. And in your steadfast love, cut off my enemies. Destroy all the adversaries of my soul, for I am your servant. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. If your spirit is fainting today, his is not. If your spirit is languishing today in the dark, and invite the Lord to draw near to you, find your refuge in him. Let the spirit of the living God lead you this day. We're going to talk with Dave Brewing this morning about the character of God, the goodness of God, and how you and I, how you and I advance the kingdom of God in this generation. Do you believe in the king? Do you recognize that God's kingdom is coming on earth as it is in heaven? Do you pray for that? Let's talk about advancing the kingdom of God today. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LaBurge, and this is Faith Radio.
So what is discipleship? What does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus Christ? How are we discipled and how do we disciple others? We're going to talk this morning with Dave Buring from LionShare. You can find what we're talking about at lionshare.org. Good morning, Dave. Good morning. You good this morning? Oh, yes. It is well with my soul. So That's how about you? Thing. Yeah, I'm good. Lots of lots of things um, percolating around my life right now, but the Lord has been faithful and I'm walking in peace. So I'm grateful for that. Amen. Amen. That peace that passes uh, human understanding and the circumstances of life is such a true gift. Let's talk oh. this morning. Um, let's talk about discipleship. It's a word that gets thrown around a lot. Um, you know, we we say that we're disciples, but what or who is a disciple and why is discipleship so important through, throughout our lives? Yeah, that's a great question. And it's, you know, it's an interesting thing, Carmen, from walking in this realm for a lot of years and then, you know, more recent years, people kind of quantifying things. It's interesting to note that about 80 to 90 percent of senior pastors have never been discipled. Isn't that an interesting stat? They, mm. They've gone to school. They've been well-trained. They preach the word awesome. But oftentimes they will say to me, nobody ever did this for me. And so mm. therefore it's, it's understandable why this is often not transferred into our local church life. And that it can often get reduced to, well, this is for the education department person or adult equipping per person. But disciple making is something that Jesus has invited us all into. And it's first to be on the receiving end. And one of the phrases we've been using within our church recently is a disciple is someone who is following Jesus. So they've made the commitment to make that the priority of their life, being changed by Jesus. That, that's a process over our entire lifetime of becoming more like him, walking in his ways of doing things, and on mission with Jesus. Like, okay, so I'm using my gifts in the environment God's placed me in to advance his kingdom. I've heard um, one person say that you can't tell if a disciple has been made until that disciple has made a disciple who's made a disciple. That it's like this it's this reproducing question that huge. is uh, really a huge part of what we're talking about. And so every single one of us as disciples of Jesus Christ need to be discipled, and we need to then in turn be disciple makers. Um, so the discipleship journey is really critical. If you um, want to experience the discipleship journey, uh, you can do so. Um, by joining Dave and others at lionshare.org. I want to talk, Dave, about um, one of the things that happens as we, uh, as disciples advance the kingdom of God. What, what does that mean? What does it mean to advance God's kingdom? And how is that uh, a bit of a test of our discipleship? Yeah, so I think, you know, when you, when, when someone is shaping you, more to look like Jesus, to have his heart, to have his vantage point of things, to see people the way he sees them. Well, one of the things that also happens in our lives is we begin to have a value for God's kingdom being advanced. And, and so most people are familiar with the Lord's Prayer, and there's a, the line in it, you know, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So in heaven, God's character is on full display. His ways and his will are always being done. People are powerfully experiencing his nearness. And so, you know, as one of my friends said once, as in heaven, so on earth. 
God desires the things that are going on in heaven to be expressed through his people, his disciples here on earth, in a way that people can encounter him. And, and I think as we become disciples of Jesus, we care more about that. And I think that's something that grows within us over time. And as we get to know the king and appreciate the things of the kingdom, we also recognize the the places here on earth where the king is not glorified and the kingdom mm-hmm. not, you know, not currently manifest. So I think our awareness of just how different the kingdoms of this world are from the kingdom of heaven, like we we become more and more aware of that the closer we draw unto Christ and the more we know the king um, and his kingdom priorities and principles. Yeah, no, that's exactly right. And, you know, when someone says, hey, give me a little working definition of the kingdom, this is kind of my attempt at it. The kingdom is the realm where Jesus reigns and his will is being done. Mm. And so, so when you look at that, you know, you can put that over your family. You can kind of put that over your, you know, how you're functioning within your vocation. You put it in your community or your city and say, okay, where is God's will being done? And where is Jesus's character and his ways really being expressed? And, and or where can we see it expressed more? And I think that's a, a realm because it's an invisible kingdom to our eyes, but nevertheless fully real. And full, you can fully execute the principles of the kingdom in our daily lives. Yeah, I can live as a kingdom person here and now. Yeah, that's exactly right. And so I like the language, you know, I'm a carrier of the kingdom. Some mm. people kind of get the church and the kingdom confused, and, or they think it's the same. We always have to remember the kingdom of God is the bigger picture. It's like it's it was Jesus's primary message uh, that he spoke about some couple hundred times in the Gospels, 130 alone in Matthew, that's always the bigger picture. The church are, are the, the representatives of the kingdom. So I like to picture it, Carmen, a bit like a person carrying an umbrella. You know, it's like you've got, you've got the, the church person who's been called by God, they're a part of the body of Christ, but then they're carrying this umbrella that says the kingdom. And it's this bigger thing, that overarching thing over them, over the church, because he's the king of this kingdom, and the church represents the people of the kingdom. I love that. We're talking about the kingdom of God. We're talking about advancing the kingdom of God. What does it mean to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and trust that everything else is going to be added unto us? We're going to talk about that next. Dave Buring is our conversation partner from lionshare.org. Picking up with uh, Dave Buring, where we left off, we're talking about the kingdom of God. We're talking about advancing God's kingdom in this generation as the disciples who live here and now. Um, Dave, when I think about uh, the kingdom of God, one of um, the passages of Scripture that comes immediately to mind, and actually, like, it it turns into, like, this song in my head, um, (laughs) seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. Alleluia, alleluia, alleluia. Yeah, I want to hear you sing it. Yeah, well, um, you— Maybe not. you and the rest of the world. Um, so, you know, sometimes leaving leaving them wanting more is uh, is a good thing. Talk with us. So that's uh, Matthew chapter 6, um, you know, beginning at verse 30. Talk with us about what it means and what it looks like to seek first the kingdom of God. 
Yeah. And, and like you, that was a song I grew up in. So I, I hear the same melody in my head with that. And it's, so you have this, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This is how we're to pray. Jesus said, pray this way, that more of what's going on in heaven will impact earth. And then you have this kind of exhortation from the Lord of seek first the kingdom. So then one has to do with our prayer life. The other has to do with our daily life and how we live. And so for me, um, it's kind of like a, a little bit of a grid that drops in front of me and, and that I think about whether it's, it's daily, whether it's weekly, but it's, it's how did I advance God's kingdom today? Like that's a, I wonder how many of us, when we, you know, are about to lay our head on the pillow at night, actually just pause to go, okay, like the reason I'm still here, because Jesus loves me so much, you know, those of us that are listening, Jesus loves you so much that why, when you gave your life to him, did he just not snatch you away to heaven? And one of those reasons is because there's still some work for us to do on his behalf here. And part of that has to be thinking through things like, how did I advance God's kingdom today? And, and, there's, and when we look at the book of Acts, there's tons of different ways that we can see what that looks like. But I think the question I have is, is that on our radar? Like, do we even mm. consider, did I aid God's purposes in the earth today? Mm. We, uh, we recently, Dave, had a conversation on the show with um, my colleague, Neil Stavum, and he offered these three words, no, K-N-O-W, and talked about, you know, it's, it's one thing to know Christ. It's another thing to joyfully make him known to others who do not yet know him. Um, uh, B, and, you know, all those being things and the way that we are being in, in the world as ambassadors and agents of grace and ministers of reconciliation, like who are we being? And then mm-hmm. do, um, you know, do the job well. So uh, that resonates with me when yeah. I think about what you're talking about. Am I advancing the gospel right now in this moment, in the midst of this conversation with this person whom God fiercely loves and wants to reach, right? Like, how how is the kingdom going to advance right now in this moment, in, in the midst of whatever this conversation is um, with this one? Is that a little bit of what you're talking about? Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's, it's like, is it, is it on our radar, you know, born into our hearts enough that, that you just reference that. Like I, for me, because of, of so long in this, I can't get away from that. So every conversation I'm in, there is a God, how do you want to bless this person today? God, how can I serve them today? God, what are needs here that you might use me to meet, whether they be practical, whether they be spiritual life stuff, you know, whatever the case may be. Because again, it's like, our obedience to the things that the Lord puts into our heart can advance his space, his realm within somebody else's life. It's like it's letting Jesus take over more territory so that he can allow his love to come more into their life, his peace, and be expressed through them. And I, again, just coming back to the reality of this, I don't know how many of us think this way. And one of the practical parts for me, Carmen, on this is relating well, like relating well to people is a huge way of expressing the kingdom. And I think that's been lost on us. I, I think we mm-hmm. just, ah, you know, I'll just try to get along. It's not about that. It's like the way that you treat people, the way that you honor them, the way that you bless them and serve them and just listen well to them 
it, it's huge because that that currency is being devalued in our world today and it's a real opportunity for people of the kingdom of god to step into it god is the best relator in the universe so we should be the best best relators on the planet yeah and i think that um when we talk about how we're relating with others, it, it's also how we're seeing others. And if I don't recognize that every other person is an image bearer of the living God and yeah. the person for whom Christ died, like, right, part of this is my prayerful preparation to see people as God sees them, to see myself rightly, um, to recognize who I am and what I'm doing. And that's that's what you're talking about in terms of being prepared as a disciple of mm-hmm. Jesus to mm-hmm. be used um, you know, to be used well in obedience. Like there's lots of um, threads that are woven together here. Yes. Yeah, no, you're exactly right. And, and you know, and I, I want to remind, you know, those listening today too, like your prayers, your prayers for things, that's another way to advance the kingdom. I mean, when you look in the book of Acts, there was much prayer. And so when you're praying, like, let's just say there's a missionary, you know, in another nation or there's another nation that you have particular care or concern for another community and, and your prayers for that each day, you know, that that goes a long way. Like one of the first memory verses my mom uh, in particular taught me was first John five fourteen and 15. And it says this. This is the confidence that we have towards him, that if we ask anything according to his will, God's will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us and whatever we ask, we know that we have the request that we've asked of him. And so, you know, it's it's praying for nations by saying, OK, God, how do you want me? It's not just God, would you bless them? It's God, how do you want me to pray for this nation? What is going on? What are you wanting? Like with the Ukraine right now, God, what are you wanting? What are you doing in the midst of that, Lord? And some things are obvious to our eyes, but it's asking the Lord. And when we pray according to his will. He hears us. Well, you just advance the kingdom that day through your prayer life. So that's huge as well. We're talking with Dave Buring from lionshare.org. We're talking about what discipleship looks like in the life of a believer, how it's walked out in a transformed life. Transformation comes um, as we uh, understand more of who God is and ourselves uh, in relation to God and then find uh, our willingness to be obedient unto him, cooperating with the active work of the Holy Spirit uh, as we are transformed by one degree of glory uh, to another into the likeness of Christ. Dave, maybe as we walk off from this conversation, you could just encourage us again that part of advancing the kingdom is making disciples. It is. It is. It's like you see this in the book of Acts. And again, there's an interesting portion in Acts 6, 7, where it says, and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. And disciple making is that intentional place of, of the way that I like to say it, Carmen, is it's reproducing God's character, who he is, like more what he's like in people. His ways, which is how God goes about doing things, imparting that into people so our ways are more like his ways, and who you know, reproduce and get in line with God's mission. And so reproducing God's character, ways, and mission in others that God places around you and then expecting them to do the same in others. There's a church I visit up in Pittsburgh that is really fun for me when I'm there because it's one of those churches over the last 10 years now, 12 years, 
I've had the opportunity to pour in on this particular um, topic of discipleship. And now when I go, sometimes the guy that's there says, hey, let's get another picture. And now there's five generations. So there's me, there's another guy, another guy, another guy, and another guy. And there's five generations deep of disciple making. And that's always very satisfying to me to watch when multiplication happens. And we always got to remember that discipleship is still Jesus's primary way of growing and advancing his kingdom. It's what he's asked all of us to be engaged in. And it's one of the most satisfying things in life when you see God allowing you to participate in the transformation of somebody else's life. It's huge. Dave, um, as always, thank you so much. You guys can connect with Dave and the resources we're talking about today at lionshare.org. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LaBerge, and we'll be right back. All right, so there's just a lot going on um, in the world, and we want to catch up on some international headlines here as we turn to a conversation about institutions and maybe a loss or a lack of faith in institutions. And when we talk about institutions, we're talking about everything from the institution of marriage to financial institutions or educational institutions, um, religious institutions, including the church. Um, and certainly civil institutions when we think about the government. So we're going to talk about that in just a moment. Here are some examples of a loss of faith, particularly in terms of the institution of governments around the world. In the United Kingdom, uh, Boris Johnson has resigned as his own party has withdrawn its support for him to continue serving there as prime minister. In China, protesters uh, continue to um, amass by the thousands in the streets, even though the Chinese authorities um, are violently dispersing peaceful protests. Um, What's going on there? Well, uh, since April, there have been four rural banks in China's central Henan province where millions um, of, of dollars in assets have been frozen. And that means that the livelihoods of hundreds of thousands of customers in an economy that's already, you know, battered by COVID shutdowns, those people have not had access to their bank accounts. And so, you know, that's been since April. They've had no um, no communication from the bank uh, about that. And so they have been protesting outside of um, one particular branch of the country's central bank, uh, the People's Bank of China. And um, obviously the Chinese authorities don't don't allow protests of any kind, even peaceful protests, even by people who are trying to get access to their own money out of their own banks. So that is uh, going on in terms of a loss of faith in institutions. Public outrage um, has swept across Japan um, following the assassination of former president uh, or former prime minister uh, Shinzo Abe. Um, in fact, his party swept into power in yesterday's elections in Japan. So it'll be interesting to watch that. But the assassination um, of Shinzo Abe uh, just, you know, I mean, it is an immediate, the immediate response and reaction is a loss of faith in um, in a portion of the way Japan has chosen to govern itself, which is that no one would be armed with a gun um, except the one bad guy who made a gun at home. 
Um, and then you turn and you say uh, uh, there's been a, a breach of their confidence in their medical um, system. Because guess what surgeons aren't trained to do in a country where guns are outlawed? Well, they're not trained to treat gunshot wounds. Um, and so it's it, it, this conversation about a loss of confidence in institutions is not just happening here in the United States. It's happening globally. In Sri Lanka, and this will be the last example that I pull up, um, we talked a little bit about Sri Lanka and the the devastation wrought there by um, decisions made uh, over the course of a number of years by the government um, that has resulted in this island nation in South Asia um, having literally zero, 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 um, I'll say dollars, but zero currency to exchange internationally. Um, and so they are now completely bankrupt. There's no fuel, there's no food, there's no medicine, and nothing's coming in because they have no um, they have no credit. And so you can imagine the population is enraged. An anti-government protest broke out. Um, they moved the president from his residence. They seized a number of government buildings in the, the nation's capital of Colombo. Um, and the president agreed to resign and a new government's going to be named. But let me ask you, how do you rebuild a national government that has no financial resources? I mean, how do you rebuild essential institutions when people have not only lost faith, but they're hungry? They have no uh, fuel and no medicine like chaos reigns. And so we're going to talk a little bit about the uh, lagging confidence that people have in institutions. They're now at historic lows, according to Gallup. And we're going to talk with Adam Carrington about what you do in the midst of that. How do you rebuild institutions in which people have lost faith? That's up next on Mornings with Carmen. When I say the word institution or institutions, what institutions do you think of? Do you think of the institution of marriage? Do you think of the institution of the church? Do you think of civil government? What do you think of? Dr. Adam Carrington is back. We're going to talk about institutions and our confidence uh, or lack thereof in them. Adam, good morning. Good morning, Carmen. Glad, glad to be with you today. So I am looking at this um, new Gallup survey. And I am looking at the change in Americans' confidence in U.S. institutions just over the course of a year. Everybody has a negative score except for organized labor, which is just uh, no change. Um, But everybody is literally underwater except for small business and the military. Those are the only two of the 16 institutions listed. Those are the only two where uh, more than 50 percent of those surveyed continue to say they have confidence in um, those institutions. So, you know, small business, pretty healthy confidence in in, in small businesses, 68 percent, pretty healthy um, confidence in the military, 64 percent. But everybody else is under 50 percent. The police, medicine, the church, public schools, organized labor, banks, tech, the Supreme Court, the presidency, newspapers, criminal justice system, big business, television news and Congress. Everybody's underwater. Um, and some of them desperately so. Uh, confidence in Congress now at 7% nationally. What um, what does it say to you when people lose confidence in their institutions? And how uh, why, do, why does that matter? Why do institutions even matter? Right. And I think 
that second question might, might be the best place to start because why do we care that people are losing confidence in institutions? And I think thinking about what the role institutions serve in a society, they serve as a way of building and maintaining community, especially intergenerationally, to pass along not just the uh, ability to act, but the wisdom of generations from previous ones. Uh, they are ways of organizing how we act, you know, for the example, the police organizing how we protect ourselves or the military or the medical system for protect, figuring out how we uh, organize our health together. And obviously the church or organized religion, uh, the way that we worship together and the way that we care and love for each other under, under God's providence. And so when you lose confidence in that, you risk, uh, one, being much less effective in those efforts, and two, being much more alone in them and much more unstable in them, that you uh, uh, don't have those set established ways of connecting with others. You don't have those set established ways of working with others. And it breaks down communities. It breaks down generations. And it also puts uh, weak people at risk who, who need those institutions to protect them. And so the fact that we are in this state where people are losing their trust in not just any groups but uh, or any institutions, but the basic ones that I think help hold us together uh, certainly is an alarming, alarming thing and something that we need to get to the bottom of. When you think about institution building, or institution rebuilding, a restoration of trust in institutions? What are some things maybe that come to mind? Well, I think one is participation. People sometimes will um, become uh, detached from them because they don't participate in them and don't see how they work and don't therefore see the benefits of them. So encouraging participation, us ourselves, if we are not participating to do so, the other is, I think, a increased uh, honesty in where they've broken down. I think there's been a lot of problems with, with certain institutions on this list, not being, um, uh, you know, having corruption, having uh, the inability to deliver on the goods they were trying to deliver, and at times circling the wagons against criticisms for that. And I think a pretty open and honest understanding that these are run by sinful human beings. They're going to be imperfect. And then trying to rebuild the case for admitting those imperfections. How can we do better and how can we be a, um, you know, how, how can we overcome sin to the degree we can in this world doing so? And I think that a, a lot of these organizations have not been forthcoming in where they've fallen short and that that kind of reform reforming them to be a little more attentive to their, their, their ends. I think that's uh, an overall thing that can be done. And then we'd have to look at particular ones to see how you'd reform each one. But I think that's the start. Yeah, I think we need, you know, uh, we need this kind of wholesale reformation in so many of our um, institutions. I mean, even if we just took the criminal justice system and we looked at that and all of its parts and pieces and we said we want it to be more just, we want it to be more equitable, we want it to be more restorative or redemptive. Um, and 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 we might just be overwhelmed by the sheer size and scope of the reformation we were talking about. Um, but if I'm thinking about how I might invest in the institution of criminal justice locally, 
What does it look like to actually go and learn what is the process in my local police department or in my sheriff's department or in my local court or my county jail or on and on and on? What does it actually look like and feel like and smell like? Um, You know, what is it what is it to walk in the shoes of a person um, who is in that quote unquote system? And how is that institution functioning in my at the most local of levels? Because that's where I, I can have the greatest influence is at the most local of institutional levels. My own family, my own marriage, my own family, my own local church, my own local uh, systems of government. Yeah, and that's where political that's where um, things like uh, public schools and, and newspapers and others are, are, I think, in the same boat. But to take the criminal justice example, some things that can be done is one, often sheriffs and local judges are elected. So get to know those candidates. Don't ignore those elections. We often so much often ignore local elections and local politics. Pay attention. Get an idea of what you think justice should be. How what should our system be doing? Should it be more uh, redemptive and restorative? Is it missing out on due process for certain people or certain defendants? Is it not giving justice for victims? And then press and encourage your local officials to to do that. Make them pay a price at the polls if they don't. Um, you know, keep in track of the local news. We don't pay attention to the local news anymore. We read the New York Times and the Wall Street Journal and basically have nationalized everything. But if there is a gross injustice in your area, stop paying attention so much to uh, an injustice that you read in the news that happened in another part of the country. Look for what's happening in your own community and band together with citizens, other citizens, uh, uh, you know, something we've lost that I, I think we should go back to is Alexis de Tocqueville, the Frenchman that wrote Democracy in America, marveled that when Americans have a problem locally, they form a group. They form a group to try to uh, amend it. They form a community within the community to, to take this on. So I think for, formal organizing to, to petition and then a local elections, paying attention to local news and politics. Um, local politicians will look at that. Local police will feel that pressure if people are paying attention, I think the biggest part is we're not paying attention. Yeah, we're not paying attention close enough to home where we can actually make a difference. And we are um, we're very, very focused on what's going on nationally and sometimes globally, um, which are places where we can certainly prayerfully make a difference. And we can make a difference when we go to the polls every two or four years. But it's much more difficult to affect change on a massive scale um, if you're especially if you're not intentionally seeking to bring about change on the most local of levels. So for me personally, um, sort of taking my own counsel here, I um, have been sort of waiting around for someone else to form a moms in prayer group in my own community to pray for our local schools. And finally, I just decided, you know what, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. So um, I'm now leading an effort to form a moms in prayer group here in my county, and we're going to focus on the concerns of our local schools, the children, the the parents, the administrators, the teachers, um, on and on and on. So, you know, if I want there to be a hedge of protection around um, schools where I live, then I better be out on the front line of doing that. So um, I want to thank you for encouraging me to become more active in my own local community and to focus more locally, um, you know, because this is where I live.
And this is where then I should also serve. All right, let's take a very brief uh, pause. When we come back, we're going to continue our conversation with Dr. Adam Carrington. We're going to um, pivot our conversation a little bit and talk about um, why the EU is uh, even talking about, let alone voting on, the Supreme Court of the United States decision in relationship to abortion. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. All right, so we're all aware that the Supreme Court of the United States, um, in its decision in a in the Dobbs case out of Mississippi, reversed the historic Roe v. Wade and Casey decisions of the Supreme Court. In response, um, many, many uh, folks on the Democratic side of the aisle um, have been seeking the president seeking for the president of the United States to take some executive action in relationship to what they view as um, a need to restore uh, rights. So President Biden um, has done so. He has signed an executive order. We're going to talk with Adam Carrington about that. We're also going to talk about responses and reactions, um, not only here in the United States, but around the world. Uh, Senators Elizabeth Warren and Tina Smith um, have written an op-ed asking for a presidential declaration of a public health emergency. And when uh, asked about that yesterday, President Biden told reporters that he is considering declaring a public health emergency to increase abortion access after the Supreme Court's overturning of Roe. Um, And then in the EU, the Supreme Court's decision in the Dobbs case has been condemned um, largely by a number of countries whose abortion um, laws are much more restrictive than here in the United States. So, Adam, reactions, response to any or all of this? Yes, it continues to be the news of the day, even this long after Dobbs comes out, because of just what an earth-shattering change this has been. And I guess I'll start with uh, the Biden executive order. I think that we need to wait and see if there's really much to this, because it was, and some people have criticized it that are pro-choice, as more of a glorified press release condemning the Dobbs decision, saying that we should uphold abortion access. But all it really did that has any movement to it is ask Health and Human Services to look into what can be done and report back. And, and you know, with it, President Biden emphasized that the main thing we need is to elect more Democrats to pass laws as opposed to do executive actions. So I would hold off on whether there's much to this uh, because Biden really didn't put much force behind this executive order, at least yet. Now, on with the EU, I think this just shows how, one, what we were saying before, people think too globally and not locally. But really, I think it's performative and signaling. It's It's trying to for these uh, legislators in in Europe, who um, who who, like you said, have laws that aren't nearly as permissive and open as we had for abortion. I think France just liberalized its abortion laws to allow abortion up to 14 weeks. And and remember the the Dobbs opinion was about a Mississippi law that banned abortion at 15 weeks, and that wasn't even allowed under under American law before. Um, but it's really just performative. They're trying to, I think, signal um, their position and stance. They're trying to say that they are more enlightened than we are. 
And I think the only thing it's maybe trying to do is shore up abortion protections there. But again, what kind? It seems like, if anything, the middle of American law, once uh, you know a lot of laws get passed here, is going to look more like what Europe has right now. You're going to have a lot of states with a 14 or 15 week abortion ban. So uh, it seems a lot of attempt to just posture and uh, again shows, I think, a lack of seriousness. If you want to know why people aren't um, trusting in institutions, I think it's when things like this are pulled that just don't really match the facts. When we think about um, the way we engage with uh, and pray for those in authority. And so I'm encouraging us to be praying for the president, encouraging us to be praying for members of Congress, praying for the justices of the Supreme Court. You know, we we recognize that we're instructed to do so in Scripture, right? We are instructed to pray for all people, for kings and those in positions of authority um, that we might lead peaceful and quiet lives, godly and dignified in every way. Um, that's, that's from 1 Timothy 2. Um, I'm thinking about the the posture that we take as Christians in relationship to all those in positions of authority over us. Um, I read a piece in Rolling Stone, which I know you're going to say to yourself, "What that does not seem like a religious news outlet. <clears throat> a lot of religion, a lot of religious news coverage in Rolling Stone, actually. Um, and Rolling Stone has a piece about people praying with the justices of the Supreme Court. And the the, the people quoted here take great offense that this is happening. Can you you just talk with us about the role of prayer um, and the way we pray for those in authority um, and with one another for those in authority? Right. I think that we underestimate the power that prayer has, the ability to actually have access to God, to ask the sovereign judge of the universe to act and to act for the good of his people and the good of the world. And I think that it is not wrong to pray for officials, to pray with officials, because ultimately, if we take Romans 13 seriously as well, they are ordained by God and placed there by God, and they are there for a purpose. They're there to bring justice, to punish evil and, and honor good. And I would actually mention, too, Psalm 20. Um, mm. Historically, a lot of people have understood, a lot of theologians have understood Psalm 20 to be basically a prayer for the King of Israel. And I think that there are ways of looking at it. If you're thinking, well, what words do I use to transfer that to pray for even officials now to ask God to uh, instill justice in them where they don't have justice, to give them courage where they do know justice, but maybe, maybe are facing opposition to protect their health in person. And I think all those things are good and should be ordered toward what we know God's laws and rules are. I don't think it needs to be just generic, you know, may God bless or help so-and-so that is an elected official. I think it really can be, may they be an instrument of justice. May they be an instrument of justice on this particular issue or concern where there may be not. And I think um, we, we we, we underestimate the power of that. And I think people taking offense at that are, are uh, dismissing one of the most powerful tools that human beings have for bringing about justice and good, and that's calling on the God that, that oversees it all, that, that is sovereign over history to, to act. One, um, a friend pointed out this one cultural example of people 
um, praying for those in authority and doing so in um, in ways that is often completely unconscious. And it was just the phrase, God save the queen. <laughs> like that is a spoken prayer. And it's it and it's uh and it's spoken by so many people um out loud and in so many contexts and I don't think that folks are often thinking about that as a prayer for a person in a particular authority and a person who um at least you know the the country over which she is sovereign um recognize uh, recognizes her as divinely appointed. So give some thought to that today, Dr. Adam Carrington. Thank you so much for joining us. Let's uh, let's be praying for those in authority. Let's be looking at Romans 13 and Psalm 20 today as places of inspiration. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBurge, and this is Faith Radio. It's seven eleven. It's seven eleven. That means it's Slurpee Day, National Free Slurpee Day. It's also Cheer Up the Lonely Day. So I'm going to ask you to ask God to bring one lonely person to mind today. Um, bring one lonely person into your field of view. One person who maybe is eating alone or seems lonely. Father, open my eyes to see the lonely person in the midst of all the individuals that I see today. And Father, help others to see me if I'm lonely today. You're never alone. Um, Thank you for spending this portion of your time with us. We have another hour of Mornings with Carmen up next here on Faith Radio. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LeBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.